Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hey there, thanks for checking out the podcast. Coming up, Tracy Turner and Miranda Moroz from Manitoba Mystery Company. Back to school coverage continues on CJOB. Lindsay Sturgeon is a resource teacher at Stonewall Collegiate. Dr. Richard Rusk, Medical Officer of Health in the province of Manitoba. We'll talk about the flu with him. Carolyn Klassen from Conexus Counseling joins us. And we're also going to talk to Sean Simpson at Ipsos. There is a new survey out about fake news. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please rate the podcast. And now, the podcast. Be right now, Tracy Turner and Miranda Moroz are here. They are with Manitoba Mystery Co. Or do I call it company? Because it just says C-O. Company. Either, sure. It doesn't company. matter. Yeah. <laughs> this is a cool idea, guys. I'm glad you're here to tell us about this. I saw the release about you being at Oak Hammock Marsh, September 14th and 15th. But then below that, you've got all kinds of other events, and we'll get to those in a second. But tell me about Manitoba Mystery Co. First of all, Tracy, how long have you been doing this? Tracy's the executive producer, and Miranda's the writer. So we'll start with you, Tracy. How long have you guys done this? Sure, this will be our eighth year of offering productions. Wow. Um, but it's our first year actually touring. So, um, And, the, f- and um, the second year for this story, Case at the Edge of the Woods, but... Um, We've done a lot of changes to it and edits and um, made it a lot more participatory. So this is a real uh, immersive theatrical experience that you get to actually participate in and uh, solve a mystery, a murder mystery. Good. Well, we're going to get to the mystery because that's the part I really want to talk about. Um, So you've done this in a location and now you've taken it on the road. Now you're touring around to locations, the fundraisers, I would imagine, for for different people and and doing it that way. And I love that you've taken a a real local cold case, a mystery from right here in Manitoba and and made it part of of an entertaining evening. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, Miranda might want to chat about the cold case a little bit. Yeah, tell us about Eddie Kendrick. Yeah, for sure. So um, Eddie Kendrick wasn't his real name. His real name was a man named Lawrence Lees from uh, Rossburn, Manitoba in 1932. Um, He was actually the park warden for Riding Mountain National Park during that time. And um, him and his wife, married of five weeks, just returned from their honeymoon up in Victoria Beach when he was shot in his through his kitchen window. And um, a logbook, his park warden logbook was missing. after the after the murder, like when they investigated the scene, the logbook was missing, but everything else was untouched. So clearly that was a motivated murder, but it was never solved. And so we're going to solve it this fall with the help of our lucky audience participants. Yeah, so. that's a lot of fun. <laughs> so tell me what that's like as a writer, because you've got you've to tell this real story, make it entertaining. You have to involve your actors and actresses. And you have to involve the audience. I can't imagine how difficult that must have been. Yeah, well, we always, we're always a little bit, you know, we never really know how the audience is going to be because there are very passive audiences and there are audiences that love to talk to everyone at the same time. Yes. And then there are the audiences that are just laughing from beginning to end. And our story, it is a comedy. So it's, it's murder, but it's also really fun. Sure. Um, very Murdoch mysteries feel Sherlock. Kind clue. Of, yeah. Clue. It's right. like a real life yeah, clue. Yeah. And, um, and as a writer, we have a lot of, um, you know, parts of the script that are very, uh, open to interpretation. So the actors, they're trained in improv. So they, they um, are able to read the room, and if the audience has th- certain things that they're bringing up, the the actors will roll with that for the duration of the show because mm-hmm. that's this unique story for this unique audience. And so right. you really get to participate in something that is changing and is very, you know, alive. The, the world of the show is very alive. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just a really great opportunity to yeah. experience theater in, in a new way that... Some people might not have before. Right. And I imagine mm-hmm. you have fun you know, taking some shots at Manitoba and Winnipeg and maybe some of the people and names that we would know, right? Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. 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 That's, it's, I've done stuff like this before, and it's a fun evening. So I really hope people check this out. Uh, you're going to be at Okamak Mars September 14th and 15th. That's the sort of the next one for you that people can check out. Right, right. Uh, talk about some of the others you've got coming up. Sure. So uh, coming up, um, the next show after... After Okamak Marsh, we have um, we have Seven Oaks House Museum in um, 
in uh, Winnipeg. And yep. then we're also uh, going to be in Arburg. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be um, south of Winnipeg in St. Joseph, kind of near Altona. Yep. Um, then we're going to be um, back in Winnipeg for a little bit uh, at uh, the, the Royal, Royal Aviation Museum. And then we're going to be at uh, Bentwood Hall in Steinbeck, which is an event center with a beautiful site. And then we're going to be also in Fort White at the end of the tour, finishing off October 27th as well. So Excellent. It's running for two months and... Every weekend there's yeah. a show. Tell us the website. Maybe that's the best way if people want info yeah. or tickets. Or... So um, it's uh, www.manitobamysteryco.com. Uh, yep. And you can uh, look at the venues, look at uh, what we're doing, a little bit about the story, mm-hmm. and uh, pick which show you want to go to and what venue. Yeah. Um, one of the things I didn't get a chance to say, but um, we do site-specific theater. So the idea is that it's actually written um, for outdoor mm-hmm. sites and and you you actually move as a group through uh, the different venues so you're going to be outside oh, that's fun yeah you're going to meet the characters you're going to move from place to place and you're going to interact with the characters and find evidence and solve clues and mm-hmm. all that kind of thing so it's um it's it's a great night out yeah yeah it really i, I imagine it is I'm, I'm looking forward to at some point try, trying it out myself and, and checking mm-hmm. out are you still doing a location where you do it on an ongoing basis as well or are you just touring with it now uh this this year we're just touring with it so yeah. um and 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 i think that that's really great because um it allows a lot more people the opportunity to come to it mm-hmm. whereas we were a little bit more uh more, uh, uh, I guess, um, I guess more exclusive location. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So now more more people can uh, experience yeah. the murder mystery. And then, so this uh, summer, it's this case, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what is it called? The case at the edge of the woods. And then, will there next summer be another story, or how, like how does it work? How long does this case tour around? Uh, potentially. I guess we'll have to wait and find yeah. out. We're, we've got we've got a number of uh, we ha- actually have a couple other shows that are in development, mm-hmm. um, and we've hosted other stories before. So um, a couple wait, in, wait and see well, a couple <laughs> in development and a dinner theater that's in development too. Oh, so, fantastic! Yeah, yeah. So there's more to come. Yeah, yeah. and what a great way uh, because Winnipeg has a lot of TV shows and movies and stuff where there you know people who have you know the acting chops they get a chance to do it. But what a great way for some of the talented. Uh, drama types in our community to do what they love and and let other people see what they do, eh? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. also a really great opportunity for as as far as the actors are concerned like to re to to return as a as a character multiple years. They really right. you know get attached to them. Like we've had actors in rehearsal like crying because they really feel the arc of their character is like completed now. Yeah. And uh it's just it's really great for them because they've just come into their own, and it's it's just such a great show. Yeah. Um, and uh, tickets are thirty dollars, and uh, which is a great deal. Yeah, and thirty percent of that ticket price actually goes to supporting the nonprofit venues that are hosting our mm-hmm. show. Good. So that's um, a really great thing. Um, we love to support them. So absolutely. Mm-hmm. Final word to you, Tracy. Go sure. ahead. Um, just to say um, that if you're looking for something really different that blends culture and art and theater. Um, this is this is a really this is a really unique uh, opportunity to uh, to visit a cultural site and experience something really entertaining and um, really make you think about about some of the things that have happened here in Manitoba. Mm-hmm. Um, so so uh, it's mystery with history, like that. <laughs> yeah, case at the edge of the woods. Your next chance to see it, Oak Hammock Mars, September fourteenth and fifteenth. The website is manitobamysteryco.com. Yes. Dot com. Manitobamysteryco.com. Tracy Turner, Miranda Morales, thank you guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. One forty-five, quarter to two. News coming up at two with Tristan Field Jones, Hal Anderson here with you on a Thursday. Thursday already. Love the short weeks. Fantastic. Going to talk. Uh, well, not talk. I talked yesterday, to be honest with you, with Lindsay Sturgeon. She is a resource teacher at Stonewall Collegiate. I came in early yesterday morning. Lindsay came in. We chatted for six or seven minutes about what it's like to be a a teacher out in Stonewall, resource teacher. I'll just read one um, quick text message. I just got this. Hey, you media kooks. Oh, we're a media kook. 
You media kooks are always yakking how busy teachers are in the summer getting ready for school in September. How can you justify that when they go teaching in other countries for the summer? Because I mentioned that Lindsay, who you will hear in just a moment, was over in Grenada. And you'll hear, you'll hear the details about that. Here's all I'll say to the texter. 204-780-6868. Teaching? If it isn't the hardest job, it's one of the hardest jobs. I have a lot of respect for good teachers. And like any profession, there are teachers that are not so good. But good teachers, very, very important. And they're not all going to other countries. And they're going to get better at what they do so they can bring that back here to help the kids. Right? These are our kids. So I'll answer that text with that. That's how I feel about it. Anyhow. So as I said, yesterday morning, I was in early, Lindsay was in early, and we sat down and talked. Lindsay Sturgeon, resource teacher, Stonewall Collegiate. Take a listen. So first of all, Lindsay, let's find out about you. Tell us about you. Um, well, I'm a resource teacher at Stonewall Collegiate, and so I work with students from 9 to 12 and support students with disabilities at our school. So what does a resource teacher do? I don't have a typical day. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm there to support individuals with disabilities and help make sure that they're included in the school, that they're accessing curriculum in a way that meets their needs. So a lot of um, what I do is uh, team with a lot of teachers to help support them in their rooms as well. So it's a very uh, collaborative approach to education. So I'm really making sure that those things are happening in that way. Do all schools have a resource teacher? Um, I can't speak for every school, but I would say most schools in Manitoba would have a resource teacher. Yeah. How did you get into that line of teaching? Oh, hell, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have always loved working with individuals with disabilities. So this is something that has been near and dear to my heart since mm -hmm. I was young. And so I've always looked for that avenue and... Um, you know, it just kind of, it found me more than I found it, I think. Right. Yeah. And you've been to Grenada. Tell us about that. Um, yeah, I went to Grenada this summer with the Canadian Teachers Federation. And uh, first, I just, I want to thank my union for supporting me and getting me there and helping uh, select me to get there. But uh yeah, it was a really amazing experience. So we went to Grenada and uh, worked with the teachers there. So we actually were working with the teachers in Grenada and uh, provided a summer institute that helped support uh, professional learning there. So tell me about that. Now you teach kids or you work with kids. In Grenada, you taught teachers, essentially. Any differences, similarities? Um, well, I also have the luxury of being on a really amazing team here in Manitoba called the Teacher-Led Learning Team that provides workshops for teachers all over Manitoba. Mm -hmm. So we are a team of teachers that get together and design workshops based on needs and uh, things that we as professionals want as well. So I did have a little experience working with teachers already, mm -hmm. yeah. um, but adult learners do learn differently and we know that they uh, do come with some knowledge. They have a collective of knowledge that already is rich with experiences and different uh, diverse educational backgrounds. And so they come with knowledge. And so it becomes a really great opportunity to collaborate and have great educational dialogue. And so uh, we learn from each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that must be kind of cool to sort of form the curriculum, essentially, right? Eh? Um, yeah, well, we design workshops and and not necessarily curriculum. Uh, they have an established curriculum, but um, working to see if there's different approaches that we can take so that we can support our students the best. Do you get excited like the kids get excited? Yeah, we have our first day of school jitters, too. And yeah. it's yeah, it's we get excited about the first day and you kind of think about it. And the night before you're thinking about it and it feels kind of like you're a student a little bit. But we always come in with a plan. And we look forward to seeing our students. Sometimes we look forward to seeing those familiar faces. And sometimes we look forward to seeing some brand new faces too. So what's involved then in your your preparation for the first day of school in another school year? Tell us a bit about what the teacher has. We know what the kids have to do. Mm -hmm. What do the teachers have to do? 
Um, a lot of it is starting to get to know our students. So looking at our class lists, understanding our students, understanding our students' needs, thinking about ways that we can engage our learners, what kind of lesson plans we want to put in place and things that we want to do to create creative lessons mm-hmm. and engage learners. So we do a lot of that kind of stuff, a lot of collaboration as a staff. Um, conversations with our principals, contact with home and parents and families and thinking about all those things. And then, of course, setting up our classroom in a way because those custodians work very hard over the summer to make Mm. sure we have a nice, clean building to come back to. And yeah, yeah, so then we come back and and reset up our classroom and make sure that it's, it's ready to go. How long have you been teaching? This will be my, ooh, let's see, I think it's my 12th year now. Yeah. <laughs> Has it been everything you wanted it to be? You know, it. You education in itself is something that is always growing and always changing, and I mm-hmm. think that that is something that I look forward to. I like uh, change. I like learning. So it is something that, for me, has been really great. Um there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that you kind of learn as you go, but I love what I do. Yeah. yeah. And you don't really have a set classroom, I don't imagine, eh? No. I am working with a right, wide range of students mm-hmm. and um, working with teachers as well. And different challenges than a teacher of a normal classroom would have as well, right? Well, I think that the goal is to include individuals with disabilities in our classes, mm-hmm. and we're not seeing some of those segregated classrooms as much anymore. And so those needs that teachers are facing are very diverse and challenging. And so I think that that's where the role of the resource teacher is really important because we can really help kind of team teach that and make sure that the needs of our students are being met. I imagine bullying is something you deal with eh, on a regular basis, is it? I think that the the issue of bullying is something that um, we're never going to necessarily escape. Right. Um, but if we are setting up our schools to be a safe environment, a culture that promotes um, supportive social environments, mm-hmm. that we can hopefully um, kind of be proactive in that way yeah. and try to kind of prevent bullying from happening. Um, and, and then helping students work through any issues that they have and help them learn some of those conflict resolution skills. Yeah. The reason I ask that is just yesterday we were talking about this, how I was bullied as sort of the big kid in school, and I certainly dealt with that. But I could go home and kind of escape, right? But now with social media, there for some kids, there is no escape from it. Well, I feel extremely lucky because we have a very supportive administration. And so our principals actually have been addressing that issue of social media and what mm-hmm. that means and have actually themselves put together workshops that they provide to every single class in our high school talking right. about social media and the impact it has on them as as teens. Mm-hmm. What's it like teaching in a community like Stonewall as opposed to, you know, downtown Winnipeg, for example? Well, I haven't really had the experience of downtown Winnipeg, so I don't really have the comparison, yeah. but I really love my little community. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a really fantastic school, but it's a fantastic community, and getting to know the whole community and being involved in the community in that way has been really fantastic. Well, Lindsay, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. And a big thank you to Lindsay Sturgeon, resource teacher at Stonewall Collegiate, for coming in early yesterday and for telling me about what it's like to be a resource teacher in Stonewall. And Connor Stanish, producing the show today, you took a phone call while the interview was running there, and you said somebody wanted to thank Lindsay for the shout-out. Yeah, definitely. She was very appreciative of all the uh, recognition that she gave towards the custodians. Yes. Because getting ready to school, I'm sure there's a lot of work for them as well. Janitors, making sure the school's ready. Yes, and Lindsay did mention that. Absolutely. Lindsay, again, thank you. Have a great school year out there at Stonewall Collegiate, and I hope all of Lindsay's students have a great school year as well. I wanted to, uh, yesterday I I talked about this story out of the States online, Time has it, quoting the CDC, Centers for Disease Control, talking about how people in the States should be getting their flu shot now in order to keep the flu from uh, making them sick. And I thought, well, that's strange. 
we're at least a month away from having the flu shot available here in Canada. And um, I couldn't talk to Dr. Richard Rusk until after I got off the air yesterday. I chatted with him and asked him to come on today uh, to tell us what he knows about it. Dr. Richard Rusk, he is the medical officer of health in the province of Manitoba, and he joins us on the phone now. Good afternoon, Dr. Rusk. Afternoon, Hal. Yeah, thank you for doing this. So I saw a story uh, yesterday, actually, uh, that quotes the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control in the States. This story was done online by Time, and it says, now is the best time, the most effective time to get your flu shot. So I guess in at least some areas in the States, the flu shot is available now. We're probably still a month away, eh? Yeah, that's that's correct. Um, unfortunately, uh, the whole process in uh, Canada is a little bit slower. Um, and so in if, if you go by the pure theory, uh, if you can get your vaccination in as soon as possible, uh, that's, that's definitely ideal because then what happens is um, for sure you'll have time for your immune system to have responded correctly, but also the whole, uh, the, the, the herd immunity could have increased. You would have had more time to get more people vaccinated. Um, and so when the influenza actually starts rolling around, which will probably be within the next uh, four to six weeks, we'll start to see stuff. Um, at least the, the the bulk of the people are then vaccinated, and so therefore it doesn't spread as quickly. So, in, in, if you're going by a textbook, I, we 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 would uh, agree with that. Um, in reality, unfortunately, it doesn't work quite like that. Just works a bit different here in Canada as far as distribution yeah. is concerned. That's that's correct. Yeah. Interesting. And how effective is the flu shot? Fifty, sixty percent. Those are numbers I hear. Yeah, so in reality, it changes every year, okay? So that's um, the the difficulty. So last year, there was um, uh, some problems or concerns that made uh, people really question uh, the vaccine. And yet, when we look back at some of our numbers, um, when uh, people had been vaccinated, um, they didn't get as sick. I think that's probably the most important component here. Um, yes, uh, if you are completely overwhelmed, even though you've been vaccinated, you're standing there in a in a bus or you, uh, you're in a doctor's office and someone sneezes on you and they've got influenza. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's, there's no drug that is going to give perfect um, immunity, but it will already prep your body so that you can start fighting it and you're, you're, um, you, you won't be quite as sick. And that's, that's really important. So that's one of the components of influenza vaccine. And then obviously, uh, if we can get it uh, into people that are at higher, highest risk, uh, then we're increasing their uh, chances of uh, p- potentially even fighting off any infection. And that's very young people and older people, right? Yes, uh, that, that, that is um, traditionally the, um, the, the uh, populations that we are most worried about. Uh, interestingly, if you look way back, oh, it's not way back, but in 2009 with our, our um, influenza, our pandemic influenza, it was actually the young people. It was, it was um, kind of the 30-year-old um, people that, that actually got really badly affected. But if it's a normal um, a seasonal influenza, not a pandemic influenza, mm-hmm. then uh, it seems to be our, our eldest uh, the, and and our youngest, as well as those that are immunocompromised. So those that have got chronic diseases, something like diabetes, something like chronic lung disease for sure, uh, chronic uh, heart disease, so things where your overall immune system is suppressed. And that those people definitely, we try and get them to the front of the line as fast as we can. And I had a text message from a listener asking this question, and I don't know as though I've ever asked it of an expert like you before. How long does the flu shot last? Yeah, great question. I mean, there's actually um, some uh, conflicting, in a way, conflicting uh, information out there. I mean, there was a study that came out uh, last year that indicated if you have been vaccinated consistently, so every single year you've had your vaccination, 
um, your overall immunity against that, against influenza in general, is substantially better than if you just had it once uh, every two or three years. So clearly, your um, your overall immunity does last, but it uh, it needs to be boosted. And uh, so, is is it going to last for the the full season, a whole six eight months, or is it going to last for only three months? I mean, traditionally, we say that it'll last for the whole influenza season. Um, and then with that uh, study, it kind of indicated, well, maybe it's even longer. This story that I saw by Time Online that quotes the CDC, it talks about this year's vaccine being reworked for the strain that they're worried about in the States. Do we know anything about this year's flu? Um, yeah, so usually what we do is we look at uh, the Southern Hemisphere. And so if you, if you go and look at the Australian data right now, uh, they're having a fantastic year. Very low numbers, um, not, not nearly as severe as last year. Um, it seems to be predominantly the, um, the H1N1, the pandemic strain from, from a few years back, right. of which we have um, uh, that, that's for sure in our vaccines. Um, and in the U.S. and in and in the Southern Hemisphere, and um, then th- there is some influenza B, and we had influenza B here last year. There, there's a very little bit of the H3N2 uh, strain, which we also had last year, which seemed to be the problem. Um, but uh, which ones come over here? We're not sure yet. I mean, it depends depends who's who's traveling and and the the benefit about knowing what's happening down there though is they've already started testing some of these vaccines and seeing seeing how well they're working as well as we've already now uh, in north in the northern hemisphere the those vaccines are are being produced and and should be rolling out shortly as you talked about australia there i thought gee i wonder if weather plays a role here is is weather impactful at all on how bad the flu is yeah i mean <laughs> we we would as manitobans we would definitely laugh at people that say oh yeah they're having a ter- terrible a time in australia <laughs> yeah right it's down to five <laughs> degrees no but terrible. i mean hotter but, drier but, wetter whatever yeah so so we we know here in in uh, north america for sure if it's colder uh, we tend to stay inside, and therefore you tend to um, uh, congregate a little bit more. And so it's it's not necessarily the weather per se, but um, uh, how much we congregate together. Because I mean, this, remember, this is a uh, a virus that is um, uh, it's spread um, just from uh, just from a little sneeze, and so. Uh, yeah, it can definitely spread really, really easily, and especially the more people inside, the more people congregated together, it will spread. And and that's one of the the things about if if we can't get the vaccine now, then definitely um, once the kids are back at school, which I mean essentially has started now, yeah, right. um, uh, making sure that that there's hand sanitizer or, or a um, uh, some some type of cleaning um, when they get home for sure, and uh, remind them that yeah they need to have tissues with them, they need to be coughing or sneezing into into their elbow, just to reduce the amount of spread when they are congregated like that. I mean mm-hmm. that that that's vital because um, we we know we don't have the numbers of vaccinated people yet, so we have to do all those other precautionary measures. Uh, those those are vital. So other than the flu shot, the vaccine, I guess the big one is wash your hands. You can't say that enough, can you? Can't say that enough, and definitely I uncover that cough. I mean, there's been studies where uh, you sneeze and it goes meters, like four or five meters where it's floating and then it's aerosolized and it floats, hangs around in in the air. And uh, so cover that cough and wash your hands because you can definitely self-inoculate. Um, so uh, if, if, you, if you're not actually sick, but you, you touch a dirty door handle that uh, someone's sick and they've touched that door handle, you touch your eyes in, sure that virus will get in so that's that's the reason why you wash wash your hands because you're preventing it picking it up 
as opposed to getting sneezed on. And then obviously your responsibility once if you are sick is you want to be uh, reducing your spreading. Yeah, sad news about Burt Reynolds passing away at the age of 82. Just learning that. We're going to talk more about that after 3 o'clock. Cal Anderson here along with Carolyn Klassen from Conexus Counseling. It's Thursday, and so she joins us for a whole half hour here. Uh, hi, Carolyn. How are you? Hey, good. How are you? Good. Excellent. I want to, uh, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. It is back to school, mm-hmm. and you have a great post on your Conexus Counseling Facebook page. Can I read it? Then we'll talk about sure. it. Okay, because it's, uh, it's very good. I don't know why, but as I read it, uh, I almost got a little choked up. I got a little emotional about it. I don't know why. Uh, But anyhow, let me read it. So Carolyn writes on the Conexus Counseling uh, Facebook page, so many of you are starting something this week, a teaching career, a new job, a new grade, a new degree or certificate, lots of new beginnings. New beginnings are terrifying for many of us. I remember on each of the first days of school for every one of my 15 years teaching at the university, as I walked into the doors, I thought, why did I agree to do this? This is the year they will find out that I don't know what I'm doing. I should have left well enough alone. That's shame talking. The gremlins that at the start of September are alive and well and chirping to so many of us. You're not blank enough. Insert smart or pretty or quick or funny or whatever else goes through your head. It's also a sign of vulnerability. It is when we are most fearful. We also need to be at our most courageous. Fear doesn't mean we can't do it. Fear means it is intimidating. Worthwhile things generally don't come easy. It means putting yourself out there with no guarantee of outcome. That requires courage. So feel the fear, the anxiety, and be gentle with the voice that shouts out all sorts of catastrophic messages. Feel all of that and know that nevertheless, you got this. Feel your terror and nevertheless, exercise courage. Feel the fear and nevertheless, walk through the door. Feel the nerves and nevertheless, smile a greeting at someone who also looks terrified. They will be grateful to you. This will be hard, but you can do hard things. Feel all the feels. Hold them, honor them, let them be present, and know that nevertheless, you got this. Go and rock it. And then in brackets, at the end it says, and even if you don't rock it, if you just make it through the first day, that will be enough for the end of the first day. Very nicely put. Thanks. And what makes that, I think, even more special, Carolyn, is that that came from your heart. It did. You know? Yes. And haven't we, here we are, both kidding, but haven't we all felt that, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's just wonderful advice. Yes. Shame is that feeling that all of us who are capable of empathy feel that somehow we are not worthy of love and belonging, that somehow we aren't enough. And we all have that feeling. Mm -hmm. Nobody likes to talk about it, but the more we talk about it, the less control it has over us. So that was one of the reasons why I wrote it. We need to be aware that other people feel like this. You aren't alone. And that so many people are walking through the doors yesterday and today with um, huge amounts of courage because we all feel like I'm the only one that feels like I can't do this. Mm -hmm. And there are so many of us that feel that way. And that, I mean, this is everyday advice. This isn't just at the start of the school year. This is, I mean, it really truly is everyday advice. And, you know, you're all about how we're all connected, you know, and you you laugh because you say it all the time and it's true. I'm kind of on this kindness kick right now, right? Okay. And instead of just being fear, you know, scared and worried and nervous and all that stuff by yourself, realize, as you say, that other people are there too. And maybe with a bit of kindness, we can extend that helping hand to the other people that feel the same way we do. It's true. And it takes a certain amount of courage to be kind to somebody. Sure it does. Because you don't always know if it's going to be received well. Yeah. Uh, but there's something about, you know, opening the door for somebody and having them look you in the eye and say thank you. Yeah. That it, it inspires courage, right? And it makes you feel good if you can contribute to somebody else's day. And it gives you a little boost of neurotransmitter oxytocin, yeah. which helps you feel good when you're scared. I think kindness is a great way for us to be able to deal with some of our fears. 
fears because when we help others, then they are less fearful. Uh, and when this world is a bit less of a fearful place, we'll all have a bit more courage. Yeah. So I am going to go and share that. Please go and share that. Connexus Counseling, that's the Facebook uh, page. And go and share that because I think that is is great advice. So you talk about you when you were teaching and not having all of this knowledge then. So how did you get through it that without knowing this? Because we can read that and know right. it, and, but doing it is a completely different thing. Well, and it's, there's something called the imposter syndrome, right? Where we all feel like, okay, so I'm doing the job, but I'm not really good at it. And if people really knew what I was and who I was and how I did things, I don't know that they would be, you know, believe yeah. in me and that they would see what they think they're seeing. And so mm-hmm. that I would have a classic case of imposter syndrome every September. I always kind of marveled at people that went to university for four years in yeah. order to become teachers. Mm-hmm. And here I was a therapist and this university said, hey, come teach our master's level students. Yeah. And um, I'm like, what do I know about teaching? Like, can I do this? Uh, what if I, I know how to be a therapist, but do I know how to be a teacher? It was so frightening. Mm-hmm. And I, when I do a, jo- a job, I like to do a good job. Yeah. And the thing about starting something new And every year with a class, even if you've taught it the year before, it's with a new class and you don't know how it's going to go this year. Um, When you know that you like to do a good job and you haven't done the job yet, you don't know if you're going to do a good job, Mm -hmm. right? And so, so many of us, if we don't know how it's going to go, we think, well, what if it doesn't go well? And we kind of live in that space Um, rather than thinking, well, I don't know how this is going to go well, but like I got to trust myself. Somebody Mm -hmm. hired me to do this. Somebody said I can be in grade two or grade 10 or secondary university. I'm going to go and do it. And I'm going to do my best because I've been placed in this place and I'm going to do what I can. And I'm going to trust that statistically it's likely to go okay. Yeah. I remember when I came to Winnipeg in 89, I was 24, 24, maybe 25. And I was in Moose Jaw for six months. I was the news director there. That was a big deal because this was Moffat Communications. And that was sort of the training ground, right? And then the national PD, Gary Russell, came through and said, come on, you're going to. And I didn't realize at the time how significant it was. I knew that I was in over my head. Okay. Came here to do morning news. And Ron Abel was the host of the show. And Ron's legendary. And then not only am I doing the news with him, I am the news director. I've taken over for Charles Adler, a legend. And here I, and I am going, man, I don't know if I got this. But you know what? As I read your, your piece on Facebook here, your post, I remember vividly telling myself at some point, this is going to be a fun ride. I don't know if I'm going to do this or not, but it's going to be a fun ride. And that kind of gets to your line there where you say, this will be hard, but you can do hard things. Feel all the feels. Hold them, honor them, let them be present, and know that nevertheless you got this. I wasn't sure I had it, but I was going to feel it. I was going to enjoy it because I knew it was a wonderful opportunity, and it's it's all worked out. And usually things work out, don't they? Well, and I think there's something pretty incredible about swinging for the fences, right? If you play it safe and only, you know, sort of try to hit for singles, mm. you might get on base, but it's so exhilarating to hit for the fences. And, and often you connect and it feels great. Mm. Um, and often, if even if you don't, if you swing for the fence, you might get a single or a double. Like, it's so cool to, to just to know that fear doesn't mean you shouldn't do something. Fear means that you're doing something important. Mm-hmm. And fear means that this matters to you. And so, you know, take a deep breath. Feel the fear and know that that doesn't mean that you can't do it, that you give it a shot and that likely you can do really well, or at least you can learn something. We only grow by trying new things and stretching ourselves, which means feeling the fear of things we have never done before. Carolyn Klassen is here from Connexus Counseling. She is here every Thursday between 2.30 and 3. We're going to take a quick break. It's 2.42 on CJOB. Carolyn Klassen is here from Conexus Counseling. I was talking about this before the news at 2.30, teeing up you were coming in, but this uh, guy who used to be an actor on the Cosby Show back mm-hmm. in the day is working for Trader Joe's in the States, and somebody recognizes him. And Fox does, Fox News does a story on him, and essentially they job shame the guy. Mm. He we even felt sort of self-conscious and bad about where he worked. He felt like, you know, people expect more and and he sort of uh, took uh, measures to try and keep it secret where he was working. And I told this part of the story that some people may not realize, but Tyler Perry heard about the story and offered him a job. So I don't know if he's taken the job or not, but that's kind of cool. But job shaming is sort of an interesting issue because, listen, 
if I had a family to support and I had bills to pay, I would work at whatever I had to do. I, I don't have that issue. But I understand that shame that some people feel. And maybe if they don't even feel that shame, but others put it on them, job shaming. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, hard work is something to be proud of wherever, Absolutely. You, wherever you work. But, but talk about it. What do you think? I think this is a cool week for all those people who sometimes self-impose some job shame or feel like other people look at them with job shame mm-hmm. um, to say there's a sort of celebration and recognition of there is no job too small. An honest living is an honest living, and we respect people who do what is necessary to be able to feed themselves and their family and who go in and look a person in the eye and work hard. There's something beautiful about that. And as I was driving over, I was listening to uh, your interview with the teacher, uh, and she sort of gave a shout out to the custodians. Because a school doesn't work unless you have people doing the jobs that nobody sees. Right. And those jobs are really important. And I, I think we need to recognize that we all work together and that we all need each other to do our jobs and to to job shape somebody because their job somehow is, quote unquote, not sort of of a certain sort of class. Mm-hmm. I just think that's really unfortunate. And this this story is an opportunity for us all to sort of look around and celebrate the people that have the jobs that aren't necessarily being um, built up for and being thanked for. Yeah. And uh, because we don't know why that person is working in that particular job, do we? No. And I not that it should matter anyhow, but you know, like I, I think of my uh, I think of my dad who worked for the Department of Highways for many years in Alberta. Mm-hmm. And it, when his dad died, he had to drop out of school to take care of the farm. Okay. My dad was a smart guy, could have went on to do wonderful things. Did not have that opportunity. Now he he worked hard and he you know took care of his family. But we, we don't know why that person is in that job at that particular time. Well, in fact is, those jobs need to get done, right? right? Like those really important people that have those fancy jobs, somebody had to pack their groceries, mm-hmm. right? That's yeah. that's how the world works. And I think we often don't recognize um, and value people that do the jobs that aren't as prestigious. Um, but I think we also then miss out on not only what gets done, but some of that hidden stuff. I know when I worked in a hospital for many years, I would do discharge planning and I would uh, visit with patients and their families to find out what they could do to make them ready to go home. Mm. And sometimes the nurses would say, oh, they can't get out of bed yet. And then I would see the housekeeper in the corner look over and say, oh, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) They've been up a couple times today already, right? And they had their relationship with a person. They were talking as they were in there, you know, cleaning the bathrooms and washing the floors. And it was often the housekeeping staff that I would go to really kind of get the skinny on what was really going on with a person Mm -hmm. because they had this awareness. Um, And then as they were going about the day, they were also making the patient's days brighter because they would chat as they would clean. And Mm -hmm. so there's this unsung value to them that people don't get the recognition of. But yet it is so important. It's part of what makes this world the special place that it is to live in. Yeah, I'm always curious when I talk to you, uh, you know, with your practice at Conexus Counseling, Mm -hmm. do you get people coming in? Talking about their jobs and wanting a different job and how to get that different position. Do you see a lot of that or not not really? There's some of that. I think we had talked earlier about shame, that feeling that we are somehow deeply flawed and therefore not worthy of love and belonging. And there is some in our culture, we we assign often a status to a certain sort of job. So often when people are in one job, they feel like if I could just get that job, then I would be good enough. And so sometimes you'll see students enter a university program, try really hard to get a degree that's a really prestigious degree, and they'll get it because that somehow is supposed to assign a certain sort of value to them. But then they realize they don't actually have the passion for that career. um, And that when you do a job because it gives you a certain status, it doesn't make you happy. Mm. Uh, And so I think people sometimes look at job and status and shame and they, they sort of miss the opportunity to say, what is it that is the right thing for me to do in light of my family and in light of what my interests and passions are mm-hmm. and in light of what the resources that I have? What's the right job for me and how can I feel really good about who I am and what I am doing here? Because every single job is important. So don't job shame. Don't job shame. It's bad. And sometimes I think people will say things and behave in a way that they don't, they're not really trying to shame the person, but it comes off that way to the person that's the focus of it all. 
Well, you know, sometimes very unwittingly, we all deal, as I said, anybody who is capable of empathy struggles with shame. And one of the things that we do when we feel shamed, when we're not sure that we feel good and we're sort of feeling a little bit down on ourselves, unfortunately, something that we all sort of tend to do is if I put other people down in the room, then I won't feel so bad. And that feels actually really lousy to everybody. It doesn't actually work, but that doesn't stop people from trying. And I think the challenge for us all is to say, if I'm not feeling good about myself, what can I do to take care of who I am and how I'm feeling without making somebody else feel badly for who they are? Because mm. that doesn't solve anything. Yeah. Sometimes the cockiest people and the ones that think they're all that and a bag of chips are the ones that have those those feelings of insignificance and, and they put that out there to try and, you know, and there, it's hard sometimes to try and treat those people nicely, you know, but sure. we, we have to think sometimes sort of backwards at things and understand where stuff like that's coming from sometimes. Well, and I think we have to be true to ourselves and uh, carry ourselves with dignity. Jeffrey Owens, who is the grocer, the former actor from The Cosby Show, mm-hmm. when he was offered that job by Tyler Perry, uh, from what I read in the news, he said, well, actually, Tyler Perry hasn't met me. He has interviewed me. I don't want this job out of pity. I want to I want to talk to him and I want to earn this job if he's going to give it to me. I don't Very want, cool. right? That I think there's something quite lovely about that. Yeah, excellent. Fantastic. Okay, one more subject here before Caroline has to go in a few minutes. What do you do if you don't like the gift your partner gave partner gave you? Everybody that I've said this to today goes, oh, like that's never <laughs> happened. It happens all the time. So what do we do? Because we don't want to hurt that person's feelings, right? Right. Okay, so first of all, I think there's a sort of needs to be a sensitivity for the person who is giving the gift to say, I gave you a gift because I care about you and I would really want you to take up the space and to have the the freedom to say if you don't like this, if you want a different color or a different size or if you want something completely different right. because a gift doesn't isn't actually, if it doesn't land, it probably doesn't feel very gifty, right? Mm-hmm. So I think we as gift givers have to be sensitive and thoughtful to give people space for that. Um, the author of that article, her or this, the expert on that article, her name was Susan Winter. She's a New York City dating expert, and what she would so she was doing it in the context of dating. So if you're in a dating relationship and somebody gives you a gift, do you say something? And she's like, well, if you don't say something, how's that other person going to think that this? How's how's they supposed to know that this wasn't great for you? So yeah. if you get one ugly sweater and you say nothing, yeah. right? <laughs> you set yourself. You're going to get more ugly sweaters. Absolutely, yeah. right? And so it's entering a brave space um, with a gentleness that you can be kind and you can be courageous to say the thought behind this is great. You clearly you went shopping. Isn't this great? Um, you you're giving me something, but can I tell you about my you know what yeah. my preference is? Right. Uh, I had one of my. Um, staff that works for me, I brought her a Starbucks in, I think, um, when I bought one one day, and she came in really reluctantly and shyly, and she's like, actually, you know, I prefer this brand of coffee rather than that brand, which was great, and it was about the third time that I brought it to her before she could, (laughs) (laughs) but I would have kept bringing her the wrong coffee, and I loved that she gave me the opportunity to get her the right kind of coffee. Yeah, and we have to look at it that way, right? When the other person says, hey, actually, they're not in any way you know, criticizing, they're just wanting you to know what they prefer. And actually what they're doing is caring enough about you and about the relationship to give you the chance to get it right. Very well put. And they're risking, right? And so when people risk to invest in a relationship, I think that's something we all need to be grateful for. We're right out of time, but I'll just say this. Guys suck at giving gifts. (laughs) If we're speaking in general terms, you know, how many times has the guy gone, honey, I got you a new Swiffer, right? Which is like, are you, or, or, Hal, I got you a gym membership, and then they poke you in the belly, right? I mean... Joining us from Ipsos is Sean Simpson. Good afternoon, Sean. Hi there, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for doing this. Fake news. We hear it all the time, but do we really understand what it means here in Canada? Tell us about this poll you've done. Well, uh, individuals think that they themselves know what it means, but they uh, cast a a finger and wag that finger at fellow Canadians, uh, with a majority of Canadians believing that other people actually uh, don't uh, know how to differentiate between fake news and that which is real. Interesting. And this is part of a global poll that you've done at Ipsos, right? 
That's right. Uh, we uh, we did this poll uh, earlier in the summer uh, on our global advisor, uh, International Omnibus. 27 countries, including Brazil, France, Germany, Russia, for example, and uh, all in total, almost 20,000 interviews, including, of course, uh, some interviews in Canada. So what do we learn here? Because we know fake news exists. What does this tell us? Well, there's a couple of things. The first is that there is no um, agreement on what fake news actually is. Uh, 58% of Canadians believe fake news is, is simply stories where the facts are wrong. Now, if 58% believe it, it means that 42% don't believe that's with fake news. So what else could it be? Wow. Well, uh, 46% believe it's when news outlets or politicians only pick, pick facts that support their argument, so some selective storytelling. And another 46 6% of Canadians think it's just a term that politicians and media use to discredit news they, they simply don't agree with. And Americans are more likely to believe that each one of these definitions constitutes fake news. Wow. So Donald Trump is really having an impact, isn't he? Well, I think uh, the United States under Trump is the focal point for um, uh, for fake media, and he uses the term almost every day. Uh, and it's it's that latter definition that uh, the term politicians and media use to discredit news they 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 don't agree with. He's got a particular uh, lens of the world, and anything that uh, doesn't align with that lens is uh, simply fake. And fake news really exists online, doesn't it, Sean? Yeah, and I think that's where it gets uh, shared the most. It's easy for anybody to publish anything online, uh, and then when um, uh, you share it on Facebook or, or tweet about it, 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 it spreads. And uh, you know, nearly half of Canadians say that they um, have actually believed, falsely believed, the news story that was real until they, they found out it was fake. And yet uh, a small minority of us uh, say that, um, that, they, that they don't know how to, to find fake news. So uh, we're confident we know what's fake, but you know, half of us still admit to having been duped. So what's the takeaway here? We know the numbers now. How do we fix this? Because I think it is a problem. I think most people would see this as a problem. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and it's a problem that um, the majority of Canadians and global citizens say is leading to a distrust of, of politicians because there's, there's the belief that there's more misinformation than there, there used to be. I, I think it's incumbent upon um, media to, like traditional media, to help um, explain what, what is fake and what isn't, perhaps what is news and what is commentary, uh, and for um, for Canadians to just to be a little bit more diligent in, in maybe cross referencing stories. When you see something on your Facebook feed, maybe head to another site that you trust just to see if that story exists there. And if it doesn't, it's likely not real. And so what's the blowback on traditional news organizations like us here at CJOB, Sean? Well, yeah, and, but there is a delineation here um, in, in the amount of trust that Canadians have towards different type of media outlets. For example, radio, traditional print news, traditional broadcast TV news, those are the most trusted sources of information. Now, online news only, social media and, and blogs and, and other sites are less trusted. And, and the, the risk for traditional media is if, if they don't do a good job uh, 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 teaching Canadians and identifying what is fake and what is real, then they begin to lose trust and credibility and, and Canadians see all sources of news as, as being equally distrustful. Interesting survey, Sean. Thanks a lot. It's been my pleasure. That is Sean Simpson at Ipsos. Survey on fake news. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.